It's the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. It's basketball time to kill. Love picks up Curry. Kyrie Irving from downtown. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. It's over. Works on Irving. He knocks it down. He's set. He's set time. Allen to Garland. One second left for midcourt. Oh! Dubas to Stronisko. Oh, and a rejection by Mobley. And he throws the hammer down. The shoot around. Well, here we are. It's the end of the 2022 season, and the Cavs are hanging on by their fingernails. Lots of highs and lows, but I'm fearful it's going to be nothing but lows from here on out. How about you, Colin? Yeah, this season has been a glass case of emotion. The Cavs have shown a lot of heart. They have shown that they are a young team that loves to play together, and it's a season that's been filled with a lot of promise, but unfortunately right now it looks like they're limping into the play-in. With the season coming to a close, given all the highs and lows this year, the injuries, the hardest record to start the year, Garland maturing into an all-star, and Love finally staying healthy. How do we feel about it all? What, what an awesome existential question. It's like we set these up for ourselves. To me, I'm overly positive on the season as a whole, but right now, I'm really frustrated. So, like, in the immediate... I'm pretty frustrated with how the season is kind of winding down and, you know, they're going to get into the play-in no matter what, which is really cool and awesome. But at the same time, I'm just a little annoyed with their, the injuries that we've, you know, been harping on all what every week for the last 38 weeks, whatever, you know, but it is, still a season that I am so happy about as a Cavs fan in the sense of a team that we've seen that is super young, that's doing something that young teams don't do, which is play together and like each other and excel. We've seen Kevin Love revitalize his career. You and I talking last year, I don't, we thought he might've been out of the league this year. And We've seen, you know, at the beginning, we saw Ricky Rubio come on and just look phenomenal and really bring a lot of great veteran presence to the backcourt. We've seen Garland, as you mentioned, just really take a huge leap. And then obviously with the front court of Mobley and Allen clicking, there's just been a lot of awesome basketball. And it's just really, with all those highs, that's why it's kind of frustrating as heck that they are possibly going to be the 10, you know, the 10 seed going into the play-in. But it, it, I'm, I'm kind of, I waver back and forth, like every, every half an hour, you know, so we could re-record in 30 minutes and I might have a completely different response. How do you feel about it all? Yeah, it's disappointing. It's, uh, I mean, we talked last night after the, the most recent game. And um, I think I've been frustrated for well over a month. I, I, back 
at the start of March, we've had one game, just one, where we have allowed, where we've not allowed 100 points or more. (laughs) One game. Mm -hmm. Our defense that we really hung our hat on, that kept us in the running, in the mix, throughout the first part of the season with the hardest record out of any team to start the year, um, that all went out the window. And I don't know if it's fatigue. Obviously, it's injury involved. We know that the injuries decimated the promise of what this team should have been this season. Even just beginning with Colin Sexton, losing mm-hmm. the most important piece we have, whether Clevelanders realize that or not. Mm-hmm. That's been the most hard. That's been the hardest part for me to watch a team that, to me, was bringing back that '90s style basketball play, hanging their hat on defense first and foremost, and challenging teams to have to score on them. Um, now it's it's not a challenge, you know. And we're having these games where we come out the gate extremely slow, and by the end of the first quarter, we're down 35-19. Mm-hmm. 35-15 or 35-12. Yeah. There are times that we score like a high school basketball team. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the game, we're getting close to 40 points a quarter, but it doesn't matter because we're playing out of the hole. So the mm-hmm. last month, two months have been difficult. And we've stayed as optimistic as we possibly can. But now that there's one game left and the team is still decimated from the injuries that have kind of taken us out of the promise that we had. We're limping along to the end and most likely going to um, be in the perfect position for a Cleveland sports tragedy, <laughs> which is what I've experienced most of my life of being here and you've experienced as well, that it always, whatever outcome could be, good or bad, it's probably going to be bad. Yeah. And as a Cleveland sports fan, I have no hope right now. It doesn't yeah. matter that we've made the play-in we were minutes away from being number one in the East mm-hmm. just a month and a half ago. And now we're barely making the playoffs, losing to teams like the Nets that, frankly, you know, only the hype of what they should have been is the reason why we're still caring about the Nets. Mm-hmm. So again, if we, if we were completely healthy, I think we'd be knocking on the door for the number one seed, and I think we'd be surprising the entire league. And that's what's so hard. Because as a right. Cleveland sports fan, you're often talking and left to only talk about what could have been. Yeah. And that's what I don't want for this season. That is such a great point. That's what I'm that's why I'm also kind of wavering back and forth is I'm trying to kind of you know, I don't live in the Cleveland area, so I do feel like because you I'm did. You yeah. Did. It hasn't but changed. Because I, <laughs> like, yeah. But because I'm further away geographically, even, you know, in Philly. I feel like I'm able to I'm trying to like navigate the way of being like but the season has has been in my mind fantastic but you're right we watch them play right now and it's just not what it was at the beginning of the season when they beat Milwaukee earlier in the season and just looked like the team that was going to just you know, completely tear the East apart and surprise everybody. I'm trying to, to wrestle onto that feeling and kind of hold it. But I, I totally understand. There's the, the injuries, I think, have been the number one thing that have just 
you can see it all over Cavs, Twitter, and even the national sports media has taken note where it's just, it, you can't avoid it. You know, every you know, everybody says that cliche, oh, everybody gets injured. Yes, everybody gets injured, but not the timing of the injuries and the length, you know, Allen's finger, you know, Mobley even twisting his ankle for a couple of weeks. Well, those couple of weeks were while they're trying to navigate the playing positioning. So, okay, cool. I wish you, if he had to twist his ankle, maybe it could have been like over the all-star break and he could have sat out the all-star game. Like that would have been fine, but no, it has to be while they're trying to, you know, to position themselves and stay in the seven or, you know, they, they're, could have been a chance they could have stayed at six if they had Mobley playing, right? So, well, we've I, had I Allen totally out. Understand. We've yeah. had Allen out seventeen straight games. Yeah, and um, he's definitely the backbone of our defense and the ability for us to play. You know, the kind of basketball that we got accustomed to. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's um, oh. you have to try to appreciate what you got out of the year, but but knowing what we should have had. I just keep thinking back to the fact that I, I'm in love with this sport because I watched it in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. And there were no teams in the 80s and 90s when the game was far more physical that had the amount of injuries that the Cavs has sustained mm-hmm. over the last two seasons. Yeah. I say it all the time, and it's, it's I'm a broken record on this podcast, but it's as if we're playing football out there right. and everybody yeah. else is playing basketball. It's like we're not in a contact sport, and yet we're going down like we are. And, so, and, and basketball has only gotten softer, and yet we're more injured. It's really yeah. weird. So I will ask, because I think you and I are keenly aware of kind of the Cleveland mentality, where you're right, there's a level of, well, if something, <laughs> if, something's, if something bad is going to happen, you know, it's going to happen. At the same time, you and I I still are pretty hopeful people because right now my question is what do you think of the people who are saying that they should just lose out and Mm. get their first round pick back that they traded away for Levert? Do you think that they should just lose out or do you think they should actually try to make a run at getting into, you know, winning in the plan and getting into the playoffs? I haven't heard their arguments per se, but just on principle of that argument of what of just trying to say, oh, this is something the Cavs should consider. I find it asinine. Mm. Yeah, we've gone through three, four seasons now of the rebuild. We've gotten um, Sexton, Garland, Akuro, Allen, Markinen. Um, all of those guys need to be paid big contracts here pretty soon. And, you know, Allen, obviously, we signed to a $100 million deal. That was a great deal. But you know what I mean. All of the mm-hmm. younger players we've picked up are going to get big contracts. And they're going to play for somebody because they've got a lot of talent in this league. So mm-hmm. the lottery is, is, is for a specific purpose. The draft is for a specific purpose. And the Cavs, in my mind, have moved beyond that purpose. Now it's time mm-hmm. for them to, to polish out what they have remaining and they need to start consistently making the playoffs year after year. And over the next five, four or five seasons, they have to be going to a finals appearance. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my opinion of the talent that's on this team and what I think they're aiming to be. If they want to be the next Golden State Warriors or the next San Antonio Spurs, 
then these guys, as they get into their mid twenties, should be some of the most formidable matchups in the league. So we don't need another piece, another another person to to bring along 19-year-old kid that needs to learn the ropes. Mobley should have been the last one of those for, for some time. How about you? What do you think? I agree with all those points. The other point that I think happens with these types of arguments that I, I think that happens a lot, especially in cities that have had bad luck like Cleveland, is for me, these types of thoughts are really their fan thoughts. They're, well, I've wasted all my time watching this team, and, well, they should just go ahead and lose and, you know, try to, mm. then that way they get something out of it. It's like, what they're getting out of it is experience. You just pointed yep. out how they have extreme, they have an extremely young core. If they somehow sneak into the playoffs and they get into that first round and they even win one game, that's experience that, is leaps and bounds that is that will be worth it for everybody involved especially the guys on the floor and jb and the staff and altman if they get into that first round and and, you know they play the the number one or number two seed that'll be the first time they've done that since lebron left um and Mm -hmm. i think that's extremely important for the city and for the organization as a whole because it allows them to kind of just shake that mojo off of what LeBron has had on them. And, you know, LeBron is LeBron. So, you know, he has a lot of weight just everywhere he goes. But especially for this organization, I think that would be a huge step. That's much more important than the number 14 pick in the draft. Whatever mm-hmm. kid that they get, you're right. They're going to have to bring along. They can get wing players. They can get other players and develop them like Lamar, like Dean Wade, mm-hmm. who they've proven they can bring guys along. So, yeah, Name a position we need that 14th pick in. I don't, I don't they, know of one. They could use a small forward or a wing, but again, they could bring but a guy. They could get an undrafted 14th guy. 14th pick? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Again, they've already proven with, like you said, people like Dean Wade and Stevens and Windler and all of that. They're serviceable enough. They're bench guys. Keep them where they are. Yeah. You know, you, you've got your starting five and even six, seven, if you keep love and you figure out whatever you're doing with Sexton. Um, this team, I think, maybe at the end of the year, no matter what they do, you know, they'll, they'll just try to, to put a positive spin on what they were able to achieve because so much of it was out of their hands. Mm-hmm. But I would just say that from a fan's perspective, from our perspective, how we pay attention to this and we know that they should have achieved more, it's going to be a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think they could have made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they, at one point, when we were fully healthy and clicking, mm-hmm. we were that good of a team. Yeah. And that's what you mentioned before. That's what the Bucks acknowledged when we beat them during mm-hmm. the regular season. That, hey, this is a team that everybody should pay attention to. So... But I totally agree with your point of what's more valuable, another player to add to the mix that you have to develop and you don't know what they're going to be, or getting into the playoffs and getting that experience with the people that are there now. Look at all the experience of what our bench got last year due to injury and how that actually helped us. Yes, we limped along, but we were able to 
salvage more of the season because those guys had playing experience from the previous year. Exactly. Um, the playoffs this year are going to mean so much more, even if we just play one series, for next year's team when we come back fully healthy and ready, ready to impress. Cavs Nation reported that Colin Sexton's recovery is going well and that there is little concern about him losing a step. Should he be slotted in as the team's sixth man next season? I think it's an intriguing possibility. That's something you and I have talked about in a, in a situation like what the Cavs were able to build this season, which is that, okay, we're, we have our starters. We, you have to have starters, but we're not going to necessarily play guys off the bench, bench minutes. So Rubio, Love, other guys, they got more than what you'd expect from a bench player, and especially Rubio. So in that Rubio mold, if you don't bring a, a player like that back and you already have somebody like Sexton and you can bring him back for maybe a two-year deal or something more manageable for him and for the team, then you're looking at a best of both worlds of allowing a good mix between Garland and Sexton being on the court at the same time. I know they wanted Sexland to work, and I'm not certain that it wouldn't have in some situations. But the NBA, even though it is more undersized than it was when I grew up watching it, it's still a Giants league. <laughs> and the idea that you're going to have a, a two six-one guards play with each other, there's a reason why they went out and got all the tall trees they could find. You know, the seven-footers, you know, it's this huge joke that we have all these tall people now on our team. Mm -hmm. Well, partly they were making up for the fact that they had a very short backcourt. Now that Garland has grown three inches and Sexton's been out for an entire season, I think that it makes a lot of sense to bring him back in a sixth-man role. And if you find throughout the year that you can rotate him back into the starting lineup, do so. I mean, who cares? Mm -hmm. Matchups are all that really matter in the NBA. That's why now, you know, Chris Paul guards centers. You know, I, mm. I remember years ago when I noticed that in, in 2K, how everybody would rotate. And now it didn't matter. Your position didn't matter so much anymore. It's just kind of a label that then you're going to rotate around and be wherever you need to be for the good of the team. Um, in that regard, it doesn't matter what you label anyone. It's just ego at this point. I'm the mm -hmm. starting point guard of the team rather than a point guard that comes off the bench that still has 35 minutes a night and still mm -hmm. scores the same average that you had when you were a starter. Mm -hmm. So if they can manage that the way they did this season with a, a talent like Sexton coming off the bench, I'm extremely excited about that. The fact that the Cavs have even floated that they're interested in doing it shows that they're thinking, they're thinking about this in the right way. I've often said that the NBA has, has been maybe a little too myopic with this concept of all their best players are in the starting five. Mm -hmm. And, you know, almost like a, a hockey mentality of having different strings of talent mm -hmm. rotating in and out. That's what I loved about the Cavs this season. And again, if we can have that with a talent like Sexton off the bench, we're going to be phenomenal. 25 point, a 25, five and five guy a night off your bench. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. What, what a luxury. Mm -hmm. So what do you think? Do you think that that would work to move him to the, to the sixth man? Or do you think that just kind of given the politics of the NBA and even what his agent would request of, of him, you know, do you think that's even doable? I think it's completely doable. I do 
agents can always get in the way. That that's kind of their job. But at the same time, the fact that Sexton has been with the team while he's recovering, he's been going on so many road trips, and he's been even showing up to the Cleveland Charge games a lot. I think mm-hmm. that is a step in the positive direction for how what that relationship is with Sexton and the organization. So even if he's hearing... We know that Sexton pays attention to the media, even if he's hearing in the, you know, the the background whispers that he might move to a sixth man role. I think he should relish that. You know, Darius has had to relish playing 40 minutes a night and, you know, all the Laurie had to switch to the, the small forward. So he's also seeing that when you buy in, that you can get success. You know, he's seeing mm-hmm. that most notably with Kevin Love. Kevin Love has been a starter his entire career. He switched to the bench this year. And he did that because he knew that Evan Mobley is the more talented player and that Mobley is going to be the guy who's going to move this franchise forward. So he went to the bench and he's having a resurgence in his career. Mm-hmm. I think that there is a case to be made for Sexton that maybe he doesn't average 25 points a night again, but maybe he becomes even more of an offensive hub for that second unit, similar to Rubio, but in his style. Rubio dances a little bit more like Kyrie, where Sexton is more like a bull. If he wants to get a bucket in that exact moment, he's going to do it. But if he's if he's adding more to his passing and he's just being more of a general for that second unit, that would be phenomenal. We would, you and I would give our left arms just for that to have to have that ability this season, because they have no one backing up Garland right now because of injury. And Rondo's a nice guy, and Brandon Goodwin's a nice guy, but to have a guy like Colin coming off the bench and embracing that, I think that that would be tremendous for the team. And I do see that out of him because, as you and I have mentioned, Sexton's also a guy, we saw him last year. If they had a loss, even if they had a win, he would go out and shoot again. He always cares about crafting his game and being the best player available for this organization. I haven't seen anything or any reports that have dissuaded me from that he is a team-first grit and grind type of player and that's what we want to embrace and if that's him coming off the bench and he's getting us minutes that way I think that that would be tremendous I also think that it's an opportunity for him to move back to his true position which is the point Mm -hmm. guard Mm -hmm. I think it's very unfortunate that due to the Cavs situation when he came in he started as a point guard they moved him to the two they drafted Garland thinking Garland would be their future point. But if Garland has grown to what they say that he has, if he's grown, th- grown three inches and he's 6'4 now, I would very much consider having Sexton reestablish himself back as a point guard. And when he comes in to spell Garland, Garland moves to the two. And so you start using Garland as a shooting guard, and Sexton's not really a shooting guard anymore. Maybe in certain matchups he goes back to the two because you know he can play it. And again, like we said, they rotate on defense so much that that doesn't mean as much on the court as it used to. But 
the big knock that I've heard for the longest time on Colin Sexton is that he isn't as good of a point guard as Garland is. And that really annoys me because he wasn't asked to be. And I believe that his passing skills, his vision on the court, his understanding of defense and offense, like everything that you need, I think he could be one of the best point guards in the league. They just didn't ask him to be. They asked him to be one of the most undersized shooting guards in the league, and his stats only went up year after year. So if you move him to the sixth man, he can be a true one coming off your bench, and he can spell Garland at the one, and Garland can move to the two, and then Garland can come out, and then Okoro's there, and Levert's there, and all these different people can fill these roles, and Sexton can just kind of be what he was supposed to be. Because I do think on certain nights... Yes, he's not going to average 25 a night coming off the bench. But I don't even need to look at the stats because I've looked at them enough. I would bet that if I went through every game that we won this year, like handedly won, you had someone start that got close to 30. You had several other starters that had 15 to 20. And then you had one guy off the bench that had 25 or so. You know, and and... And that, I think, if you, we have so much talent on this team to get 15 a night that if you could just split up the, the minutes a little bit between Garland and Sexton in that way, you could easily have 50 points between the two of them. And then the rest of the team would, would get you, you know, well over 100. Definitely. The final seconds. Okoro has only scored double digits in roughly 25 games this season. Do you expect him to increase his production next year? Completely. I think Isaac has really looked lost on offense at times, and they need him to get comfortable. If he is going to be the starting two guard for an NBA team, I know we ask him to be our defensive point of attack, but he has to average closer to 11 to 15 points a night just for sheer numbers and for the ability to keep the floor open. And also because you and I both believe that he can do that. You and I are huge fans of Lamar Stevens, and I think Isaac needs to steal some of what Lamar does. Lamar gets to the spots that he wants to get to on the floor and he takes the shots that he's comfortable with. And that's what Isaac needs to do. And I know Isaac can be a better slasher than Lamar just because he's a little bit quicker. But Isaac needs to find those spots and deliver when he's in those spots to be more productive. What do you think? Well, I think that Isaac needs to decide what he wants his career to look like. All through the offseason... Um, and leading into this season, we heard that he was developing to a degree that was exciting. That okay, mm-hmm. this guy is a player that the Cavs are going to focus on a quarter of their games. They were thinking that this person might be their main offensive threat. That's how much he seemed to progress just in, in the offseason. Coming in, he's averaging about three minutes a night less than last season. Mm-hmm. His shooting is up 6%. He's at 48% from the field. So that's mm-hmm. great. And he's up 6% from three point two, twenty nine 29 to 35. So he's at 35% now from three. 
And that's, that is excellent for a guy that came out of college being touted as he can't shoot the three. Mm-hmm. So clearly he's taking less shots this season. If, if all those stats are up and, and yet his minutes are down, but he's averaging 8.8 points instead of 9.6 like he did the year before. I want to see Okuro have a few more games, maybe even this season. Before the mm-hmm. end of this uh, this run here, whatever they do for the final game and what they do for the play-in. We've seen a few games where he can get into the 20s. Mm-hmm. And it's when he's aggressive. It's when he believes in himself and when he says, okay, not it's not everybody else's turn tonight. It's my turn. And what I love about Okuro is that he's a very unselfish player that will defer to all of those around him. But there have been many nights that we didn't need him to do that. Mm-hmm. We needed him to be the guy, and he looked around for everybody else to do it. Mm-hmm. So I would just say the the kid is nothing but talented, extremely exciting from a basketball standpoint, but a little bit of a disappointing season for what it seemed he could tap into. And I don't know if that's the Cavs just not prioritizing him and him not feeling like he should you know, say, okay, it's my turn. But next season, I'd like to see more of that from him. What injured player from this season would have helped them the most in staying out of the play-in? Well, I would have said Colin Sexton before Jared Allen's injury, but I think it's Jared Allen's injury. I think missing him for almost 20 games to end the season is the big reason why we're now barely making it. And again, sometimes his statistics don't show the value of what he is to this team, but we knew when we traded for him, that that was the bigger piece. Everybody can say James Harden was the sexier deal. But Allen made this team possible. And with him not in there, Mobley makes up for some of it. I've I've not given him enough credit throughout the year at times, thinking that Allen kind of makes him better, um, which makes everybody better. But I was assuming that Mobley would look considerably worse without him out there. I think he's done a, a, a pretty good job for a rookie um, without Allen, you know, backing him up. But it just goes to show having a piece like a Mobley or an Allen is going to be the difference maker for this team overall. And Allen's, um, Allen's injury has been devastating to what should have been at least a third or a fourth seed position for us this year. So my answer, I'm going to go with Rubio. And the reason why I'm picking Rubio is because Rondo and Goodwin have not worked out as as well. And the Cavs at the beginning of the season, they won quite a few close games because of Rubio's play. I remember Rubio hit Allen on a backdoor alley-oop that sealed the win. And... Rubio also really would calm down that second unit and make defenses second guess how they were playing against the Cavaliers because Ricky Ricky's vision is further along than Garland's. I don't know if it's necessarily quote unquote better, but he understands where everybody is a little bit better right now than Garland does just because of age. Right. And I think that he is just a guy that, they could really use right now. They could really use Allen. Right, they could use all of them right now. But when I see the team, and especially when I've seen them recently 
where they've had to rely more on Levert as the second ball handler, it just doesn't work well because the defenses aren't really scared holistically of Levert. They know Levert can get his points, but the thing with Rubio is they knew that Rubio could get his points, but also all of a sudden Jetty and Love are unlocking threes. You know, they're launching threes at a higher rate because Rubio is hitting them in the corner or at the, you know, at the top of the arc. So my, my answer would be Rubio. If they get to the playoff round, what Cavs player do you think could take over a series? If everybody is healthy, I think Allen could take over a series because they would play against some teams who aren't really set up to defend a center like Allen. And Allen has been an all-star this year, and he has much better post moves that people really realize his offensive rebounding and defensive rebounding are obviously stellar. And then when you have Allen that allows Mobley to freelance a little bit more and play more like a free safety. Mm-hmm. And so I think Allen could really go off. I mean, we remember the game against Charlotte where he had 29 because uh, ball was picked over him for the all-star game. Mm-hmm. And I think Allen, if he comes back for a playoff series, he will be chomping at the bit to prove to the rest of the NBA that the Cavs are a legitimate team. What what player would you pick? Allen's an interesting choice. I think Allen, I'm worried about him coming back and being rusty. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he may need more than one series to to work that out. And I don't know how he's feeling with his finger. But as far as a player that, I mean, I think the obvious answer is probably Garland. Even though, like, Gar- from my from my perspective, probably Garland. Just because he's the guy that's going out there and consistently getting you 25, 30 a night. He's the only person that I've felt is reliable on our team for what I know I'm going to get when I watch the games. Um, we've talked about Markinen kind of being not as reliable, uh, not as consistent in his shooting. There's just there's really hardly anybody else to point to right now. So because of Garland's consistency and because of his efficiency, I would say him at this moment. What two teams do you think will reach the finals this season? Well, I think in the East, I would probably choose the Bucks. I think they have a good chance to repeat this year. They're second in the East with a 51-30 record and the Heat are 53-28. and um, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt simply because they were there last year. They won it. They're the, re- they're the reigning champions. So because they're knocking on the door, I'm going to say the Bucks for the East and for the Western Conference. I mean, they're, they're, not, <laughs> they're not exciting picks at all, but I would probably say the Suns. I mean, I thought the Suns were hungry enough last year, and they just fell short talent-wise to make it all the way. And given the way they've played this season, I think they've only maintained that hunger. Mm-hmm. So if they can, you always have to have a little bit of luck in the playoffs, but if they can stay healthy and, um, and get a little bit of luck, I think that it's going to be the Suns and the Bucks in the finals. 
So I'm going to go with the Bucks for sure in the East. I think the Bucks have also been really disrespected this year. Mm-hmm. Everybody's talking about Philly, what the Bulls are doing, and Miami. And I think Giannis... Even the Nets. Yeah, even the Nets. They started the season say the yeah. Nets would win it all. Yeah. And, but I think Giannis, he, they call him a freak for a reason. And he is by far the most dominant player in the East. You... Every every fan that has watched the Cavaliers when LeBron has played for them in both stints knows that Giannis is doing what is what Giannis is doing what LeBron did, which is he's taking his time during the regular season. He knows that it's a marathon, not a sprint, and he's just going to unleash ungodly terror during the playoffs. I really think that. Because he's so in control of his game now that he's just going to beat the you-know-what out of people. And for the West, just for variation, I'm actually going to... I like the Suns a lot. I'm very curious if Memphis is going to upset in the West. Memphis is... They've had a lot of luck when it comes to injury. They are very healthy even when Morant has gone down, they're still able to rally and win. Memphis scares the bejesus out of me because they're, they're a team, I would argue on some nights, 1 through 15, they're the deepest team in the NBA. And really the main reason why they wouldn't get, get that far is experience, right? The Suns are extremely good this year. They're playing on you know they're they're playing like a team like I wouldn't say they're playing like Warriors lever level but I would say they're playing like the Lakers used to back when they had Shaq and Kobe like they just all trust each other and they all are motivated to win this year but I think the Memphis the Memphis Grizzlies love to be disrespected and I would be terrified if I was a Suns fan to play against them <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Cavaliers Basketball Club podcast. Let's go Cavs!